Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul declared, quote, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. As Christians, we are all at varying levels controlled by and ultimately dissatisfied with unpleasant or difficult circumstances. The Bible teaches us, however, that we can be content or satisfied regardless of our circumstances. Let's open our Bible now that we might learn how to properly deal with discontentment in and through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. Hopefully you all had a wonderful and, and happy Thanksgiving, but even and more importantly, a, a thankful Thanksgiving, just a, you know, a time of perspective and thankfulness as we had, uh, as we talked about in the, in the Thanksgiving teaching. Every day, as we say in every teaching, is a good day to be loving on Jesus, to be growing to know Jesus, and to be growing more and more thankful and more and more content in our lives in Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's what we're gonna, we're gonna talk about this morning. We're gonna talk about just, just our attitude of, of discontentment and dealing with discontentment and how to do that and, uh, and what the scripture says about being discontent and grumbling and complaining. And, uh, and it's something very difficult. We talked about it in Bible study this morning and, and every man, every one of the leaders, seven guys were there. And, uh, and every one of them confessed, uh, myself included, that, that, that discontentment and grumbling and complaining when circumstances are, are not, you know, are not pleasing to us or dissatisfactory to us is something that, that we, we are doing very poorly. And so we're going to look at what the scripture says about that. And it's going to come on the back of, uh, it seemed a good place to put this, this teaching because it, uh, it's coming off the Thanksgiving teaching. We know we're supposed to be thankful, but how do we deal with discontentment, right? And dissatisfaction. So Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy, your favor, your goodness, and your grace on our lives. Father, we thank you, Lord, just for all the incredible blessings you've given us. But Father, more than anything, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for becoming a human man for us. We thank you for living a perfect, righteous life on our behalf that we could never live. We thank you for dying a torturous death on our behalf and in our place that we should have died. And we thank you that you're alive and you're risen today. And we worship you. We praise you and we thank you, our risen Savior. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open your word. Give us eyes that see, ears that hear, hearts that understand. Help us, Holy Spirit, that we might be a more content people, a more content body of Christ. And forgive us, forgive me, our complaining and grumbling. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Okay, thank you, Lord Jesus. All right, now we're gonna do a uh, we're gonna do a topical series sometimes next year on you know on on dealing with anxiety and depression and and fear and discontentment and all these things. But this is gonna be a you know a quick thirty minute teaching and just just looking at some scriptures and just what it should look like, what our lives should look like 
And, and we want to examine ourselves because really all of us, when we hear this, you know, you know, are going to hopefully look inside of ourselves and say, you know what, you know, we really are regrettably driven by our circumstances when it comes to our contentment and thankfulness. Um, you know, again, each of us as men this morning said that, that, that regrettably, our circumstances, when they're good, when they're pleasing to us, uh, we are certainly far more thankful than more displeasing. And so we want to grow to be, you know, more, more thankful, even in difficult circumstances, right? Because obviously, obviously, all of our discontentment is when our life is, you know, something in our life or things in our life or people in our life, whether it's relationships or finances or health is, you know, we're dealing with things that are that 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 that, that cause us hurt or pain or suffering. It, it's frankly hard to be content in those circumstances. But yet the scripture teaches that that we ought to be thankful in all circumstances, content in all circumstances. So the the first scripture we're going to look at, and again, we're going to deal with this scripture far more in depth in a series next year, Lord willing. But let's uh, start with Habakkuk 3, Habakkuk 3, verses 17 and 18. Look at this scripture. Look what the great prophet says. Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. I could just stop there because, I again, I confess that, that my life is not like this. Here's a, here's a great man of God, Habakkuk, the great prophet. Again, listen to these words. Let them sink in. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. There is a picture of contentment there, even though he doesn't have enough food, even in times where where, where the finances are rough and people are sick, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Rejoicing in Jesus, being thankful to Jesus, remembering the price paid for our salvation ought to, and I'm not saying this does, I'm not anywhere where I need, need to be, but that ought to drive us to joy and contentment and even peace, knowing what's awaiting us in heaven for those that are truly in Christ, even when we're in difficult circumstances. Yet, as 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 us and as myself and the guys discussed this morning, um, again, we are sadly just 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 men who who grumble and complain and are dissatisfied. And uh, and I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry, Lord. So again, that great picture in Habakkuk. And again, we're going to dig more into that. But let's look at uh, Philippians two. And we'll deal with the verses 12 to 15 here. Philippians 2, 12 to 15. Paul speaking says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation 
with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. And so this, this verse, do everything without, you know, one version says, you know, arguing or complaining. Um, this version says grumbling or complaining. Try to think of that. Philippians 2.14, do everything without arguing or complaining. Examine your life under that verse, okay? Obviously, we complain when we're when we're discontent, right? That's where complaining comes from, discontentment. And yet here the scripture, again, plainly tells us to do everything without grumbling or complaining or arguing. Is there anything harder than that, right? This is going to take a material act of our will. And as our senior elder Tom said this morning, I mean, it's something we need to really begin to pray about and to earnestly pray about. So, Father, I, I do ask you to help us now. Holy Spirit, I ask you to lead us, to guide us, to empower us, to help us to tap into the grace that we already have in Jesus, to begin to live our lives with less and less complaining, less and less arguing. Help us, Holy Spirit, to live a life of greater contentment regardless of the circumstances. Forgive us, forgive me where I have failed so badly in this. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Okay, what does he mean here when he says continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? What Paul is saying here is that salvation has been worked in you, into you completely by the grace and mercy of our Heavenly Father. We have done nothing to earn our salvation. It's been worked into us, right? When we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we simply opened our hands and received the free gift, when we opened our hearts and received Jesus Christ, we received the gift, the free gift of salvation. We could do nothing to earn it. Salvation was worked in us completely by our triune God. We pass from spiritual death to spiritual life. Jesus has come to live in us. He's one with us in spirit. We're one with him. We're part of the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. All our salvation has been worked in us and done for us completely and totally by the grace of our triune God, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit by trusting in what Jesus did for us on the cross, right? By receiving him as our savior, by clinging to him alone for the forgiveness of our sins, the salvation of our soul, deliverance from the wrath of God the Father and eternal hell, and to bring us to heaven when we die. Salvation is a gift. There's nothing we can do to earn it. But Paul says here, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? This salvation that's been worked into us by our Heavenly Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. It's our job to work it out into our everyday life. That's, which, that's what's been worked in us by His grace and mercy entirely. We actually do the work to work it out into our everyday lives. Now, we don't do this that it would save us or even help save us. Nothing, we cannot add anything to what Christ has done. But we, as a result of the incredible love of our Heavenly Father, the salvation that's been worked into us, we need to work out of us 
into every aspect of our outward lives. Wow, thank you, Lord Jesus. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Why? So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. So what does this do? This is, makes it clear that our complaining, our grumbling, our arguing, the things that manifest out of our discontentment, they, they're impure. Paul says, do everything without arguing or complaining so that you may become blameless and pure. There's a stain that gets on us. This has nothing to do with our salvation, but there's a stain that gets on us from grumbling, complaining, arguing, and discontentment. And when, when you just sit back and think about that, right, y'all? When I sit, sit back and think of that, I mean, that's a, that's a sad thing. Because I, you know, my heart, again, I confess, is, is far too much dictated. My contentment is far too much dictated by my circumstances. And I am certainly delighted when my circumstances are pleasing to me and comfortable. But when they're, in, when they're uncomfortable, for whatever reason it is, relationships, finances, health, um, whether it be with myself or others, when they're not to a way that I'm satisfied with, I do often, regrettably, complain or grumble. Generally, I do it more to my Heavenly Father and to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And, 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 and it is good you know, for us in our relationship. I mean, he knows what's in our heart, as the guys were saying today. Our Father knows what's in our heart. And so it would be better to go to him and talk to him and, and, and you know, in your relationship with your Father, share your heart with him but, you know, than it would with others, for sure. But at the same time, it, you know, we want to grow to where, you know, where our lives, again, are not so overwhelmingly controlled and dictated by our circumstances. Right. Thank you, Lord. And again, we want to we want this stain of discontentment and grumbling and complaining to be removed from us. And again, so if you would sit there and you're like me and you would say, yeah, this is just this is an obvious thing for me, then just. Just repent. You can go before Jesus now and say, Lord, I, I do repent. And I ask you to cleanse me of this unrighteousness. Father, wash me in the blood of Jesus. Holy Spirit, lead me now to begin to live a life of just greater contentment and thankfulness, in, in, even in circumstances that, that are not pleasing to me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right, let's look at uh, Philippians 4. Same book, verses 12 and 13. And the Apostle Paul is going to give you an example of what this looks like. He is no doubt. I mean, Jesus is the God man. He's our greatest example. But the greatest example we have is a human being that wasn't, you know, fully God and fully man. Remember, Jesus added humanity to his divinity. Okay. Jesus is full blown Almighty God. Remember, we have a triune God. What does that mean? He's one being, three distinct, separate, individual persons, right? Scholars have said one what, three who's, right? Um, you and I are one being 
And because we're finite, we're finite, we're one person, right? Our heavenly father, our God is so immense that he's one being, he's God, that's what he is. Who he is, is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. When Jesus became a human man, he he did not remove any of his divinity, okay? He was still fully God, but he added, he chose to add humanity to his divinity. And again, that's just bam, right? Pow. I mean, just let that, try, try try to consider that, okay? But when we look at this great apostle Paul, okay, our spiritual father Paul, he wrote half the New Testament, and we and when we look at what he wrote and what his life reflected when it comes to uh, contentment, um, it, it it really is something for us to emulate. And for me, I look at this and I'm just astounded. Again, as were the guys this morning, at how far that we personally are from this. Look at Philippians 4, verses 12 and 13. Paul says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And him there, he means Christ. The other version says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Let's step back and bust that scripture down a little bit. Okay, let's break that apart. And let's see where I am in that. Okay, and again, in this examination, we're we're not condemned, right? There's no shame, no guilt, no examination. But again, it's something we really do need to work on unless we call what it is what it is. We can't fix it. Okay. So this is where Paul has gotten to. I certainly am not. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. For the most part, I always have plenty. I don't know what it is to be in need. Okay. Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Personally, I've learned the secret of being content when everything is the way I like. That's the secret I've learned, okay, which, of course, is not really a secret, right? Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Look at this. Whether well-fed or hungry, me, I've learned the secret of being content when well-fed. I haven't learned the secret of being content when hungry. Whether living in plenty or in want, I've learned the secret of being content when I'm living in plenty I haven't quite learned it when I'm in want. There, 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 there's what it looks like, right? And how do you do this? You do it through growing in Jesus. The key to everything is, again, considering Jesus, thinking about Jesus, talking about Jesus, and obeying Jesus, living for Jesus, loving for Jesus, giving for Jesus, forgiving for Jesus. It's the key to all life. I can do all things. Here how he can do it. Here's the secret. Here's the secret. I can do all things through him, Christ, who gives me strength. Jesus will give us the strength in our walk with Jesus. The more we grow to know him, the more we grow to love him, the more we grow to know his love for us, the more we grow to obey him, the more we grow to repent where we fall short, the more we grow, this will give us life in Jesus, the more we will have the strength to be content, whether well-fed or hungry, instead of just being content, well-fed. Whether living in plenty or in want, instead of just being content when we have plenty. It's amazing, right? There's no words for this. 
Um, look at the same guy. Paul says in uh, 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 to 10. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10. Paul was given revelation like no human being. He wrote half the New Testament. There's 27 books in the New Testament in your Bible. And the great apostle Paul wrote 13 of them. Okay. So he was given revelation and understanding of who Christ is that, that none of us have. The Holy Spirit inspired the words that Paul wrote. The word of God is inspired. It is the living word of God. Paul wrote it down, right? And look what he says. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, again, because of the immense revelation he was given and understanding of Christ and power. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I mean, seriously. I mean, seriously. I mean, just, did you let those words sink in? Okay. It, <laughs> it is so far from where we are as a church. Okay. Maybe there are some men or women that have gotten to this. Um, I've never heard of any, nor do I know any. Okay. And, and I think most who would claim they've gotten here, probably a little bit delusional. This ought to be the goal of our lives. Maybe we've experienced this a little bit, but again, let these, let this sink in. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. I delight in weaknesses. Weaknesses make me discontent, so I don't delight in them. But Paul says, I delight in weaknesses, in insults. You delight in insults. When someone insults me, my, you know, I, I work on it. I try not to return insult for insult. Often I fail, probably as often as I succeed, maybe more, right? And, but I, you know, the scripture says, do not return insult for insult, right? Uh, but with blessing, 2 Peter 3, right? Um, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults. He delights in insults. Yeah, that's how we are, right? No. In hardships, do you delight when things are hard? No, I'm discontent when things are hard. In persecutions, nope. In difficulties, certainly not. And why does Paul delight in all these things? For when I am weak, then I am strong. How is he strong? He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me, right? He says, for when I am weak, then I am strong, meaning when I'm in a difficult situation, when I'm in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties, it's then that I have to rely on Jesus. When everything's going good, we're not, we don't have to rely on Jesus if we're to admit it, right? My, 
My brother Ed in the ministry says this all the time, Eddie. You know, it's uh, you know, when when things are good, right? It's 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 not as we don't have to rely on Jesus when everything is good. We should, right? And the reason our heavenly Father brings these weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties in our lives is because it's when things are difficult or hard or frustrating or when circumstances are hard, that's when we reach out to him. That's when we're when we're you know, when we're closest to him, that's when we're walking most deeply into him. That's when we're crying out to him. Now, again, we want to grow up. We want to grow up and be people that can have a deep and growing and meaningful relationship with our heavenly father, even when circumstances are, are not the way we like. And that ought to be the goal of our life, again, is to deal with our discontentment and dissatisfaction to where that, that circumstances don't drive us into this because we've learned to walk with Jesus. Doesn't that sound good? Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. We, we know that doesn't sound good, but we do want the back part so that Christ's power may rest on me. Again, when times are hard, the power of Jesus, the presence of Jesus is what's there to carry us through. And that's what we want to grow in is, is in experiencing his presence and again, in, in the hard times and the non-hard times, but, but how can we grow to have this, this attitude of contentment even when times are hard, right? Help us, right? The key to it all is Matthew, Matthew 6, verse 33. Look at Matthew 6, verse 33. And again, these are the words of Jesus. So, so how are we going to do this? How are we going to grow to be men and women of God, you know? How are we going to be brothers and sisters in Christ, disciples of Jesus Christ that grow? You know, how do we deal with our discontentment? You deal with it with in Matthew 6, verse 33, famous verse by Jesus. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Think about that. Seek first his kingdom. Okay, so seek first. In all that we do, let's seek first the kingdom of God, the Son of God, and the Word of God. But seek first. Oftentimes when 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 things are difficult or or you know, trials are there and I have discontentment, the first thing I do is not seek. Sometimes I can seek I can seek comfort in somewhere else. Sometimes I may go to my wife for comfort and you know just want to talk to her. And of course this is fine, right? But the first place we ought to be going is Jesus. We ought to go to the word of God and the son of God, right? And then, you know, unfortunately, we can seek th sinful things, right? We can seek first sinful things, right? We can seek first television or we could seek first uh, alcohol. We could seek first drugs. We could seek first pornography. We could seek first worldly things that are sinful. Mm. We want to you want to live a more contented life, a more thankful life. I want to live a more contented and thankful life, then we need to become men and women that seek first his kingdom, the kingdom of God, the son of God, and the word of God first. Let's do it when things are good, when circumstances are good, circumstances in our finances, circumstances in our relationships, circumstances in our health, whether it be our mental health, our emotional health, or our physical health, and that of others. That's about everything, right? Those are all the things, right? that causes contentment or discontentment, 
but let's seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. What does that mean? It means it means a right understanding of the word of God, a right understanding of the word of God and the will of God and a right understanding of the son of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord, above all. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness to seek right living, right understanding of who Jesus is, just just determining to do what's right, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And look what he says, if we'll do this, and all these things will be given to you as well. All the things we desire, all the things that we that we lack, all the things that we're looking for, right? All the things that we're discontent that we don't have, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Wow. There it is. Right? So again, um, we want to grow. We want to mature to be, to be men and women, disciples of Jesus Christ, who, who are not so governed by the daily circumstances of our lives, who are not owned, so to speak, by our circumstances. And so do a healthy examination of yourself. Again, ultimately, you will come to see that, that, you know, and again, you're not supposed to be happy that your circumstances are difficult. The Apostle Paul here had this immense understanding. What I'm saying is we don't, we don't, we're not asking for bad things to happen to us, right? But the point is we do want to get to this place where we're not governed by them, we're not controlled by them so, so very much. We're little by little, moment by moment, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, we're growing more and more to be content as the Apostle Paul was because we've learned, like he said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, right? Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So again, seek first Jesus. Bring Jesus into the situation. Invite Jesus into, into all of your situations, the ones that are good and the ones that aren't so good, right? Make Jesus a greater part of it. I can do all things. It's in Jesus that you'll have the strength. It's in Jesus that you'll be able to deal with this discontentment, the dissatisfaction. And out of that, we'll begin to complain less and grumble less and we will become to be more blameless and pure children. And, and remember, again, my wife's favorite scripture, right? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The more pure we are, the less we grumble, the less we complain, the less discontent we are, the more we'll see Jesus moving in our lives, the more we'll experience him in every manner and in every way. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy and favor and goodness on our lives. Again, Father, we ask you to forgive us and cleanse us of the unrighteousness, of the complaining, the dissatisfaction, the grumbling, the discontentment. Forgive me, Father. Father, I ask you to help us to walk in a more genuinely thankful and circumspect manner. Lord Jesus, we worship you and thank you today. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now to walk this out. We ask you to help us, Holy Spirit, just to, to tap into Jesus, to walk with Jesus more intimately and more deeply. For it's only in Jesus that we can do all things through Christ, through Jesus, who gives us the strength. Seal this message to our hearts, Holy Spirit, we pray. 
in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.